Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. All right, guys. Good times. All right, how are we doing, Liquid Church? Good to see you guys. We have to make a special welcome this morning to Liquid Nutley. Watch it on the big screen. Can we hear it for our brothers and sisters? Love you guys. So glad you're here. Great to have you join us. Um, our brothers and sisters in New Brunswick as well, watching on the big screen. Glad you guys are with us. Um, this is a series called Broke, really about God's recovery plan for our church, our community, our nation. Um, last week, we acknowledged a very difficult truth that poor old Uncle Sam, he broke uh, we busted as a nation. Uh, we are up to our eyeballs in debt as a country to the tune of $14 trillion and counting. If you've ever seen the debt clock in New York City when you go in in Manhattan, it makes it kind of strange when I see how so many people looking to Washington for uh, economic salvation as if like our, the president can wave his magic wand and like miraculously produce jobs for the 25 million people who are out of work. People look to Washington and with $14 trillion in debt as if Congress is going to suddenly figure out a magic formula to kind of reduce the debt ceiling and get the clock going in reverse. In fact, right now in Washington, they are debating another $400 billion stimulus to get the economy going. Do you feel stimulated? You feeling it right now? What we're doing as a church is really exploring an alternative solution. This is a radical idea that suggests God... Not the government is the author of true recovery. Recovery not just for our nation, but for our own individual economies, which really are more influenced by following the financial principles of God than of Uncle Sam. And this is a radical idea, um, and in this day and age, really, the question is, how did we get here? Because the reality is this, guys, politics aside, Republican, Democrat, Tea Party, doesn't matter where you're at in this whole thing, this, this one assumption that everybody seems to agree on, is that it's the job of government to create jobs in prosperity. Almost all Americans just assume that foundational belief that that's the government's role. And uh, the, yet the Bible says, remember the Lord your God because it's he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. In other words, for thousands of years, most people looked to God, not the government, for their daily bread. They assumed God was their provider, especially in a moment of crisis. And yet today, Folks who are on the brink of bankruptcy or underwater or out of work, all eyes, for some reason, seem fixated on Uncle Sam to be their practical savior, to bail them out. How did that shift happen? When did it occur? I want to actually begin today with just a little history lesson to frame this issue for you, because if history is to be believed, that shift began in October of 1929 with the great stock market crash. If you've ever watched the newsreels, the old black and white uh, people jumping out of buildings, that began uh, really uh, 12 years of what we now know as the Great Depression, okay? That changed the face of our nation economically, politically, and spiritually, I think more than people realized at the time. How many of you had a grandparent who grew up uh, during the Great Depression uh, like I did? Okay, absolutely. Um, they, they saved everything. I remember my grandfather, he would actually wash his socks in the sink. And when they would wear out, my grandmother would actually stitch the heels with needle and thread after they wore out, you know. And I was a kid thinking, that's so strange. Some of you know what I'm talking about. After you'd been through the Great Depression, you were changed. And this nation was profoundly changed, in some ways for the better, and in some ways for the worse. 
12 years of the Great Depression really uh, struggled on, and there were problems. I mean, you know, the media today talks about our problems, and there are many. Homes underwater, people unemployed. I'm not lacking compassion, but those issues were nothing like these. This was dust bowls, okay? This was profound poverty. This was bread lines. There were families living in shanties that make, you know, uh, buildings in Haiti look like mansions. It was tough. And in the middle of that depression, Franklin D. Roosevelt, our 32nd president, was trying to figure out a solution. How do I bring recovery, relief, to the American people? And it was at that time that a guy named John Maynard Keynes, who grew up in England, which at the time was very, very socialistic in terms of its politics and its economic views, and Keynes studied at Cambridge, and he developed this theory of economics, which he brought to FDR and said, hey, here's a way to heal the American economy. And Roosevelt rejected it. He stiff-armed Keynes and sent him back across the ocean. But Keynes came again, Keynes came again and wore him down until Roosevelt finally decided to try what we now call Keynesian economics. The very basis of Keynesian economics is simple. It says that the government, for the first time in the history of the United States, for the first time in the history of capitalism, the government would now step in and try to manipulate and change the economy. In other words, the government would borrow money and go into debt. And they would then take that money and put it out into the marketplace to lift, or, or what we say today, stimulate the economy. That's the basics of Keynesian economics. Prior to that, we operated under a completely different system of economics pioneered by another guy named Adam Smith, who was the father of capitalism. So you've got socialism, capitalism, communism. Those are the three major types of economy. Now, stop there. There's a reason I'm giving you this weird little economic history lesson, okay? <laughs> there's, because there's a shift here. A, a spiritual shift took place in our nation. This was the moment that FDR came on the radio with his famous uh, uh, promising a chicken in every pot. Do you remember that, that? Ever heard of that? That the government now would take responsibility for the welfare of our families. The basis of Keynesian economics is that the government will step in and lift people up who are hurting. And you know what? That's a kind thing. That's a nice thing. But there was this shift that happened spiritually there. The shift was that for the first time ever, we were looking to the government to solve our problems. This is the first time this ever occurred in our history. Prior to that, we truly believed and functioned, and Americans lived their lives in such a way that God was our provider, and he was the source of our hope. And so today, that's what you're watching play out in our politics, because we have a lot of people kind of running around our nation as a result of the spiritual shift from, from, from God over to the government, basically saying, if I could just get my guy in the Republican Party in there, or if I could just get my Tea Party gal, or if we can elect this left-wing or this libertarian. Basically, a lot of people are saying, if we can just get my guy or my gal in the government, then things will change for me. Then I'll have hope. In other words, the government's become the author of our hope. And that belief that happened spiritually then, and now it's just got cut across all party lines, and candidly, I'll just be honest, it is tragically believed by most Christians. And I need to just be honest with you. Regardless of your party or your affiliation, your political ideology, that's not what I'm here to discuss. That belief is spiritually and biblically wrong, okay? Because the truth is, God alone is the provider of hope. He is the only author of authentic, lasting recovery. The Bible says he's the beginning, he's the end. He's the alpha, he's the omega. In other words, God's the one who gives you your stuff, not the president. Take out your, you take out your wallet or your purse for a minute. Dig in there, pull out a bill, any denomination. Go ahead, just pull out a bill. 
You just take it out. I'm pulling out a little 20 here. And on the back of my 20, some of you can't pull out a balance because you're broke. Just follow. Come on, play along with me, people. On every single dollar of U.S. currency are the words, in God, in God what? In God we trust. Every dollar that goes through our economy has those words. Now, on my $20 bill, those words, in God we trust, are emblazoned above a picture of the White House. The problem is, is over the last 50 years, our sights have been lowered. We no longer say in God we trust. We say in, in Gov we trust. We're looking to Washington for the solution. Dave Ramsey does an incisive job articulating this in, in The Great Recovery. I'm indebted to him for that because it's, it's funny because I hear some people say, well, wouldn't it be great if we had a guy like Dave Ramsey being president? Someone conservative. And they, the point is they don't get it because the whole point is they're still wanting someone out there to be their practical savior in their lives, to fix their lives. In other words, it, it turns out that God himself is the only one who wants to bring our personal recovery because he wants us to turn our trust back to him, okay? So we can actually help them fix each other's lives and not wait on a governmental movement. It's really paralyzing. Think about this right now. How many people do you know who are paralyzed waiting for the government to fix their mortgage? Or how, yeah, how many people are paralyzed waiting on Washington to get them a job. Oh, I hope that jobs bill goes through. I need, I need work. Worse, how many people don't help their neighbor because they're waiting for the government to step in? You see my point? This is a major spiritual shift, guys, and it is a very dangerous precipice on which we stand today. And I just want to stretch your thinking and challenge you to say today to not wait on Washington and say, you know what, I am not going to elect a president as my savior. Not to act like, well, if I just get so-and-so or so-and-so, and I'm not bashing that, it's not because, I'm not like beating up Obama because his campaign slogan was hope. The point's bigger than that. This is a whole lot bigger than Obama or Romney or Perry or Bachman, any of the Republicans or Tea Partiers or Libertarians, whatever it is. The bottom line is, guys, we all made a mistake when we started saying we can fix the economy from the top down when you and I are the economy. When you go out for lunch tomorrow and you tip your waitress, you're the economy. When you don't, when you stiffer, you're the economy. The way you run your business, the way you treat your customers, you're the economy, I am the economy, and the government isn't God. So don't look to your president to be, okay, yeah, we can hear that. Government's not God. Can we acknowledge that? That's completely, doesn't matter. He, and don't, don't look to your president to be your savior. He's not qualified. Whoever comes in, she's not qualified. They're going to let you down. Poor Obama's getting killed right now. He's getting hammered in the polls because we've set him up, and no one can fill that role as a savior except the guy with nail-scarred hands, okay? So we've got to exempt that, and you're just going to realize whoever we elect next, he or she, they're going to shine for a moment, but then you know what? They're going to, they're going to let you down. You know why? Because they're just people like me, like you, with feet of clay. This is a matter of trust. Do we really believe these words? In God, we trust. Don't look to the government for your hope. Your personal economy, your next-door neighbor's economy, it's never going to be healed from the top down. That's the illusion of Keynesian economics. The truth is, true recovery comes from God above as he works in his people from the bottom up. It's my actions, it's your actions as the people of God. So where do you place your trust? God or government? As his people, God has given every single one of us a job to do, and that's what I want to talk about today. So let's make this live, all right? In fact, right now, because some of you are holding up your bills, I see them. Take that money, put that back in your pocket, or you can just throw it up on stage. Let me find, go ahead. Okay, start my personal recovery right now. Just throw that up on stage. Put that away, because I want to show you a story that Jesus told about trusting God with our money. 
Uh, actually, it's more about actually God trusting us with his money, as you're going to see. So take out your Bible and turn to Matthew 25, because this is sometimes known as the parable of the talents or the loaned money, cha-ching, cha-ching, okay? Um, very appropriate, and this is going to be fun. I guarantee you're going to be glad you came to church today, okay? Let's read this together. Matthew 25, we'll start at verse 14. Um, Jesus is talking here about building the kingdom of God. That was the, his language for government. Kingdom means government, in other words, but this is where God rules, the government of God. And he wants to give us a picture of what life would be like if we truly trusted God with all that we have. And Jesus said this, it'll be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one servant, he gave five talents of money, to another, two talents, and to another, one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. All right, so just stop there. Do you get the picture? In Jesus' day, a talent was worth a little bit more than a thousand bucks. And Jesus says, I want you to picture this. A wealthy guy goes on a trip, but before leaving, he calls all his servants in. Come on in, everyone. And to this one guy, he gives a single talent. To the next guy, he gives two talents. And finally, to the last one, he gives five talents. In other words, a thousand to this one, two to this, and five thousand to this guy. So Jesus is setting this up here. And what happens next is where the magic takes place. Look at verse 16. It says, the man who received the five talents, he, what did he do? He put his money to work. And what happened? He gained five more. Bring. In other words, he's an entrepreneur. <laughs> His servant basically doubled down, okay? He creatively invested his master's money and doubled his kingdom. In the same way, the guy who had two did the same thing. Look at verse 14. It says, the one with two talents, he gained two more. So these first two guys are savvy servants. Their master trusted them. And, 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 and they took some risk, and it paid off. They doubled the impact, expanded his kingdom. Five becomes ten. Two becomes four. But then it says, the man who received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and did what? Hid his master's money. So this is the guy who works for Washington, all right? This is, this is the government moment, okay? Not really. This is Jesus just setting up a contrast, right? Because the first two servants, catch this, they had a, a perspective of life on the world, and it was called an abundance mentality. How can I take what all that God's given me and risk some of it to expand his kingdom? But this guy doesn't operate out of abundance. He operates out of scarcity. I, oh, I, I might lose this. So he digs a hole in the ground and he buries his talent. See the contrast of what Jesus is setting up? Jesus told great stories, didn't he? Let's just finish this one up. See how it turns out. Verse 19 says, After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I've gained five more. And his master replied, can we read these words together? Well done, good and faithful servant. These are the words that Jesus says are going to be spoken in Revelation when we enter heaven to those of us who have been faithful. He says, you've been faithful with a few things. I'm going to put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man with two talents, he came. On my verse 22, he said, master, you entrusted me with two talents. I've gained two more. I doubled it. And he said, well done, good and faithful servant. Again, you've been faithful with a few things. I'm going to put you in charge of many. Come share your master's happiness. Now look at this, verse 24. Then the man who received one talent said, uh, ma Master, I, uh, I, I know that you're a hard man, uh, harvesting where, where you haven't sown and gathering where you, where you haven't scattered seeds. So, so, so I, was, I was afraid, okay, and went out and hid your talent 
in the ground. See, here, here's what belongs to you. <laughs> right? Like, do I get the ribbon? <laughs> and his master replied, what are the words in verse 26? You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I haven't sown and gather where I haven't scattered seed. Well then, Jesus says, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with what? Interest. And then he says, take that talent from him and give it to the one who has 10 talents. This is very disturbing. Jesus goes, for everyone who has will be given more and he will have an abundance. Is this Jesus saying, rich get richer? Just follow me for a minute. He says, whoever doesn't have, even what he has will be taken from him and throw that worthless, lazy servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In other words, call the IRS. All right? This is an amazing story <laughs> that Jesus tells about God's view of the money he gives us and how we're supposed to invest it in his kingdom. I mean, what would you do? What, honestly, just take a time out. What would you do if God called you over today and handed you an envelope full of cash? And said, I, I, I trust you. I trust you to creatively in, invest this in my kingdom. See, this is a story about trust, guys. Again, that dollar bill every one of us has in our wallets says, in God we trust. But have you considered that the reverse is also true? That God trusts you. Think about that for just a minute. Let me bake your potato. I want you to think about this because this is a true idea. And what's, I want to test it out. I want to make this live right now. I'm going to call our ushers forward at all of our campuses. Ushers, would you come forward with the popcorn buckets? You guys know what happens at Liquid when the popcorn buckets come forward? You know that's when we're going to receive the offering. Well, today we're going to pass the plate. And you're like, wait, we already took the offering. Yeah, we're going to do this in reverse. As that bucket comes down your row, I don't want you to put a dime in it. In fact, right now, as they pass it down, go ahead, ushers, begin passing. I want you to reach your hand in and pull out an offering envelope right now as it comes past you. Ushers, go ahead, pass those buckets. Don't feel awkward. Some of you are like, no way, dude. God's going to strike me down, man. No, I've given you permission. You're absolved, son. Go ahead, just reach in. Pull that offering envelope out right now. Hold it for a minute. I know some of you, this feels like so wrong. <laughs> You're like, lightning is going to strike me down. This is not a trick. This is a matter of trust, not just our trust in God, but this idea that God trusts you. This is his money. We don't open it up. We truly believe that at Liquid. Everyone got an envelope? Got your, wave, wave your envelope if you got it, people. Go ahead, church. Wave it. Oh, look at you. Oh, this is your moment. Okay, just stop right there. At Liquid, we really believe that God trusts his people. And here's the deal. Every Sunday at all of our campuses, approximately $30,000 in cash gets put in these buckets. But today, you're going to be glad you came to church today. Because today, we're taking Jesus at his word, and we're giving it back. Everyone got an envelope? Isn't church fun? Ah, <laughs> don't open it yet. No peeking. I j just don't open it. I want you to feel the weight of what you're holding in your hands and understand something. Can we say this together? God trusts me. God trusts me, and we do too. And so today, we are taking all of his money, and putting it back in the hands of his people, just like Jesus did. And say, you know what? But we believe that God's people know best how to creatively invest this to build his kingdom. Now, $30,000 is a lot of cash, but we want to be biblical about this. 
in the story, you'll notice what Jesus said. He said God gave out different denominations to each of his servants. He gave one talent to this, a, a couple to, to this guy, and then five to this. And right now, you're holding talents in your hands. This is the offering people worked hard for this week, okay, and put into these buckets. Some of them worked overtime to give this. Some of them took two jobs so that they could give back to God their tithe. Why? Because they believe at the end of the day, this is God's money. They trust God. But God trusts you, and now he's giving it to you. So go ahead, take a deep breath, go. Get your finger in there. Open your envelope, see what you got. Go it. Go ahead. Who got them? See what you got. Anybody got a 50? We got a 50? Or you got it? Oh, Pastor Dave's like, I got a 50. You don't know, man. Take that, take that from that wicked, lazy servant. Who's, did anyone get a 50? Anyone 50s? 20s? Okay, 20s? 10s? All right. Okay, look at, okay. Uh, 50s, 20s, and 10s. Hold on to your mind. Just put it back in your envelope. Keep it right there. You notice what your envelope says. What's it say? God what? God trusts you. And you don't have to feel bad, okay? Because God brings money into, this is a micro demonstration. God brings money into our lives based on our abilities. In other words, God doesn't give some of you more because he loves you more. Jesus says, I entrust each of my children with certain amounts based on their ability to invest so they can distribute it to brothers and sisters in need on my behalf. This is a matter of trust. In God, we trust. But the reverse is true. God trusts you which is why we're doing this reverse offering today. And I got to say, this has involved a little bit of risk for our church. We are not a rich church. We don't own a building. We don't hold a mortgage. The reason is because we believe the church is not a building. It's about the people. And we invest in people, not buildings. But when the idea for this reverse offering came up with our leadership team, so did all the questions. Like, what if someone takes two envelopes? It's possible. I see you. Some of you are thinking, you're like, oh, isn't this a waste, man? What, what if someone just spends this on themselves? You know what? That is entirely possible. There may be people who just do that. Can we actually trust the people and give away a week's offering and, and trust them to give it away? Can we afford to do that? And you know what we did? We turned the question around. With so many people hurting, with so many families fractured, with communities collapsing, can we actually afford not to? Can we actually trust people to invest God's money wisely? And the issue was settled when we studied Matthew 25, took a deep breath and said, if God trusts his people, then I guess we do too. So here you go. Here's the master's money. What you going to do with it? See, right now, some of you are freaking out. I see it on your face. I love it. I love it. How, how you're reacting right now to this experiment is directly tied to your view of God. Some of you are very uncomfortable right now. And I get that because, because you're like, you know, this is someone else's hard-earned money. I don't want this. I don't deserve this. Give this to someone else who really needs it. Or, or maybe you're feeling the opposite. Maybe you're actually holding this and you're, you can't believe it because this is God's answer to your prayers this week. You didn't have gas to get to work. You're a single mom and you didn't have money to pay a babysitter to bridge to your work. And you've been scraping by and wondering if God has heard your prayers. This is his answer to you today. He sees your need. He's always seen it. And he wants to serve you through his people. See, how you're reacting right now to this money in your hands, whether you receive this gladly or with some trepidation, it reveals how you really view your Heavenly Father. If you believe what the Bible says about God, that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, He owns everything, then you are pumped out of your mind right now 
because you feel like the servant who got five or two talents. And you say, this is God's money. You're already planning ways that you can bless somebody in your life who is truly in need. You're already thinking of a neighbor, a friend, someone, someone who needs compassion and care. And you get what Jesus is saying. A man went on a trip. Jesus saying, while I'm away in heaven, before I return, I want you to invest my money to build my kingdom. I want to trust you to find creative ways to expand it and do good to people truly in need of compassion. Guys, this, this is why the first two servants, they doubled down. They trusted God at his word. That everything is God's, that he is generous, he is good, and he, above everything else, he is a giver. So when God brought unexpected money into life, they risked everything. It says they put his money to work at once and gained five more. They took a risk and a double down. Why? Because they believed the heart of God the Father, above all else, is generous. Among all the incredible qualities of God, omniscient, omnipotent, God is at heart a giver. For God so loved the world that he, what? He gave. He gave his one and only son. And when you believe that, that God gave everything for you, even the life of his only son for your salvation, then you just like truly begin to realize everything you have is his. Your life, your relationships, your career, your car, there's nothing in your life that Christ Jesus does not lay claim to. And so the servant who got five talents and the gal who got two talents, they trusted God. So God trusted them. But the servant with the single talent, did he trust God? What did he do with his master's money? He dug a hole in the ground, and he, and he buried it. Why? Because that's how he viewed God. How do you see your heavenly father? He says, I knew you were a hard man, so I was, what's the word here? Liquid, say it out loud. I was afraid, and I went out and hid your talent and, and, and buried it in the ground, and, and see, here it is. Some of you look at God this way. That's why you are scandalized right now. Because your view of your heavenly father is closed-handed. Your finances are tight and you keep your fists clenched and you live in constant fear because you believe at the end of the day, it's up to me to fend for myself. God, oh God, God's a hard man. He's stingy in your mind. Others get more. You only get the 10. I can't do anything with this because I'm afraid. Maybe, maybe God will get angry if, if, I, if I lose it. How do you see God? Again, Jesus is contrasting those of us with a mentality of scarcity. Ah, and those of us who approach life with abundance. I was talking with Pastor Tom about this, and he mentioned how his grandparents, who lived through the Korean War, uh, basically, he's like, Tim, they're basically hoarders. They are wonderful people. They are godly people, but they're pack rats. He goes, they have stacks and stacks of magazines, newspapers. He goes, they will save a piece of tin foil so that it could be used over again. I said, that's amazing. He said, well, the Korean War, he said, it's ingrained a sense of scarcity on their heart. But Jesus says, your heavenly father, he owns it all, man. The stars in the sky, the fish in the sea, the cattle on a thousand hills, the way scripture says it, and above all else, he's a giver. And when you put your trust in Christ, God puts his trust in you. In essence, distributing his money in various amounts based on our needs and our abilities. The idea is that some, of, some Christians have, have bigger responsibilities and needs in this life require larger incomes. While some may be required to actually just live very simply, maybe they're overseas on missions and need a smaller amount to live on. One isn't better than the other. The amount isn't the point. It's a matter of trust. When you trust God, God trusts you. Amen? How do you view God? 
Is he a giver or is he a miser? Is he wasteful and stingy or gracious and loving and radically generous? Well, we're going to find out over the next three weeks because you have an assignment with this money, okay? This is God's, but he's giving it to you for a purpose, on purpose. There's only one guideline. Then the next three weeks, you use this to help someone in need in a way that somehow shows God's love. You've got to help somebody in need, and it's got to be in a way that demonstrates God's love and care and compassion in their life. Because there are neighbors in need all around us. There are families who need a helping hand, even in this room. Maybe you're going to use this money to, to buy, buy the ingredients, uh, cook a meal for a neighbor who's struggling or sick, and bring it over there as a demonstration of God's love. Maybe you have a friend, a coworker, a family member who's in crisis, and you know what? You're going to use this as seed money. You're going to add a little bit of your own to help them pay a bill or, or, or a personal debt or maybe provide a night of babysitting. Or, or maybe, maybe, think, get creative. Maybe you're going to take your money and combine it with other people in this church, with the people in your life group, yeah? And together, you're going to brainstorm. You're going to get creative. You're going to invest that money and give it to a homeless shelter. There are an infinite number of ways for you to creatively invest God's money over the next three week, weeks in a way that demonstrates the care and compassion of Christ for someone truly in need. Let me give you a live example of a need I witnessed this past week in Morristown. Um, some of you are familiar with the ministry of Market Street Mission. Incredible ministry. They offer temporary shelter, food, and Christ-centered recovery programs to men who are trying to overcome drug or alcohol addiction. And the men of Market Street Mission are homeless and in need of a hand up, and um, it's, it's just tragic. They were hit. They were bombed, man, by the floodwaters caused by Hurricane Irene a few weeks ago. Market Street Mission runs a thrift shop where they actually give away furniture and clothing to poor families living below the poverty line. And when I saw it, it was like a bomb went off. 14 feet of water actually covered their thrift store, began pouring in. That was the Whippany River that overflowed and absolutely destroyed everything. Um, caked over in mud, just, it was like a bomb went off the entire showroom, all the clothes for children, completely ruined all the furniture out the door, complete loss, um, over $75,000 in damages, and they do not have flood insurance. I had a chance to talk with Dave Scott Jr. He is the uh, director, uh, the facilities manager there, actually, for the mission. He lives next to the thrift store. His children lived, four of their bedrooms were in the basement when the water began pouring down into his house. And it was amazing because they knocked on his door, Dave, you got to get out, got to get out. And he took his kids upstairs, literally as the water was rising up into their bedrooms and completely gutted all four bedrooms down to the studs, ripped out insulation, gutted the entire thing, a complete loss. And it was, I don't want you to miss this. I was talking with Dave about this. And the irony of this is here's a man and his wife and his four kids who have given their life to helping the homeless. And now their kids are homeless. And so we've made a decision. Whatever you bring back in the next three weeks in these envelopes is going to help restore that mission. Because we're not going to sit here on a hill while our brothers and sisters suffer and bury our talents in the ground. We're going to actually help them rebuild and make it even better than before. Specifically, we're going to focus on the transitional housing where the graduates of Market Street Mission get their lives back together. Here's Jeff to tell you about it. Who's hurting to those who've had enough to all the undeserved? 
This is my buddy Jeff. Many of you know him from the Morristown campus. He's helped set up with our roadies and everything. And he actually serves as the house manager at Market Street Mission of their True Strength program. This is it. If you take a look around, Jeff, tell us what happened. Well, actually, you know, when the storm came upon us, it was so much force. It was so much force that we couldn't even contain it. And with water shooting from the bathrooms, and next thing you know, as you can see, the, the windows just yeah. cracked. And the force came so much that, you know, it was unbelievable. Actually, the water level was up to, like, my neck almost. So when men graduate from Mission for drug and alcohol recovery, they come here kind of like a halfway house? What happens? It's, it's not so much as a halfway house, but more so a transition. Okay. You know, transitioning from a program into the world. Okay. You know, and here in the Market Street Mission, once you graduate, you get three months, you know, rent-free, um, so you can go find a job and, and so we can get back on our feet. When I came to Liquid, I'm telling you, it was like this. I got involved with that, my life group, you know, and um, changed my life, man. Praise changed God. And life. now you're changing lives. Yeah. <laughs> love you, man. I love you, too. Love you, Liquid Church, let's change some lives. So understand, we've given you this money to creatively invest. And whatever you bring back in the next three weeks, we're going to invest in giving an extreme makeover to the mission's transitional housing, which was destroyed in the flood. We're going to gut the entire thing, put in all new washer, dryer, kitchen, sink, stove, fridge, all that, put in a new bathroom, basically build it back better than before. And um, this is the place where men who have overcome their drug and alcohol recovery, they live rent-free for three months so that they can get on their feet. It's where they have Bible studies. It's where they share accountability. It's where they, they learn to do a job interview. Guys, that's building the kingdom of God. And some of you, I want to challenge because this is your moment. You're a rainmaker. You sat through last week's message on debt and said, oh, thank God that's not me. I hope some people, I'm actually doing okay. Life for me has actually been up and to the right. And you know what? You know how to invest this money better than we do. In other words, pool it with others, have a garage sale, whatever it is, basically double down your master's money so we can help our brothers in need. There are two other projects this fall at Liquid Church. One at each campus that I'll tell you about next week. In New Brunswick, we're going to be actually helping our neighbors in Manville, who were totally washed out by Irene. And in Nutley, we'll be partnering with an incredible organization called New York City Relief Bus to actually feed the hungry on the streets of Patterson this fall. Patterson is where Obama visited because it was completely washed out in the urban center. And I am, I am so excited by this. I'm like fizzing because all told today, we are releasing $30,000 into the hands of God's people. And on top of that, this church is committing, we're going to double it, another $60,000 to invest this fall in serving the urban poor and homeless across New Jersey. So all told, that's, that's you guys. That's God, do your thing. God, do your thing. Double the impact. Do you know why we're doing that? Because we believe, I believe. That government is not the solution in times of crisis, but our God is. Amen? God's the solution. We're not waiting for Washington. God isn't the one, government isn't the author of recovery. Our God is. And since God trusts his people, guess what? We do too. God trusts you. So there you have it. That's it, man.
I got nothing else. <laughs> I got nothing, man. I, I got nothing else. I don't know what's going to happen. We're praying about this. It gives me a little bit of butterflies, man. But I just, I can't wait to see what God does through some of you, okay? The servants, you're his servants who he loves and he trusts. Jesus is like, it's going to be like a man going on his journey. He goes away, he, and he trusts his property to his servants, and he gives them tens and, and twenties and, and some of you fifties. <laughs> what kind of servant are you going to be? The only guy God gets angry with is the dude who buries it, <laughs> who misunderstands the heart of his father and keeps it for himself. He does nothing. In other words, nothing risked, nothing gained. So this is a challenge to you, Rainmakers. Get creative. Put your money together with maybe others in your life group. My life group is meeting next Tuesday. We're going to be talking about what we're going to do, pool our money together, and multiply that for a project. The master says, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I came back, I would have received it back with what? Interest. The idea is to creatively invest this in a way that multiplies the impact for people who are truly in need of care and compassion. And this is where it gets fun, folks. I can see some of you. Some of you have got smiles. You're already talking. You're writing down ideas. Uh, because we're doing this as a staff as well. And last week, Lauren, you guys know who hosts our 411, Lauren Vacari. She actually has this hobby of baking designer cakes for uh, special occasions, weddings, that sort of thing. And she, it's like the cake boss. She's like the cake queen, okay? Lauren's like very, very Jersey, okay? And she said, she, and, and so we did this as a staff, and, 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 she, said, and she got $50, and she said, I, I know, I, I saw her, she knew exactly what she was going to do. And afterwards, she said, $50 is almost the exact cost of the raw ingredients for one of my cakes. She goes, and so I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm just going go to the, go to the wall and just make an amazing cake and then actually sell it. And I was like, well, what does this cake sell for? She's like, three to $400. So I want you to understand something. And she's going to give it to New York City Relief Bus to feed the homeless in the streets of Patterson. That's cakes for Christ, baby. <laughs> okay, that's what that is right there. Think compassionately, dream big, ask God to open your eyes to the needs of people around you, and remember this, guys, abundance is not God's gift for you to live in luxury. It's for providing, he's given it to us to help others in need. So don't use this to build your kingdom on earth. Jesus says, invest in my kingdom in heaven, all right? If you look in your Bible this week, you need inspiration. Look at the parable Jesus tells after that, by the way. It's intentional. It's the parable of the sheep and the goats. Where Jesus says, what's, oh, here's what my kingdom is like, feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, visiting the sick. He gives you all sorts of ideas here. Whatever you do for the least of these, you've done for who? Me. At the end of the, money, at the, end of the day, guys, this money is just a tool to express God's love in a tangible way to those who need it most. And next week, I'm going to give you a couple other, I think, just cool examples of stuff people in this church are doing. I think it will blow you away, hopefully stimulate some ideas of your own. Okay, that's it. I got nothing else. Uh, I will end with this note. Um, I, I, you know, I need to say this. Maybe you're in the one in need today. If that's you, I don't want you to feel guilty for one second. This is God's gift to you, okay? This is, this is, God was thinking about you. And he wanted to know he is here to help you and this church is here to help you. Everyone else, I want to challenge you to give this envelope back in three weeks' time. All right, we're going to give you to about October 16th. It gives you three weeks to put your money to work, and whatever you return as the offering as a church, we're going to give towards our three community projects, Market Street Mission in Morristown, New York City Relief Bus in Patterson, and serving our homeless neighbors in Manville. So bring this back by October 16th. You can give it online at liquidchurch.com. They even put a page on our website, lqd.com backslash broke. I honestly can't wait to see what some of you guys are going to do, because I, I know things are going to happen here. Or shall, I can't wait to see what God's going to do. Amen?
what God's going to do through some of you, through this church, into our communities, touching the lives of people in need this fall. I want to pray for you right now. Hold on to your envelope. Go ahead, put it in your pocket before anyone swipes it. I want to pray and ask God to give you his eyes to see what he sees, to feel what he feels, and then to give as he gave. Amen? Let's pray. God, right now, we thank you that you are the giver of all good things, and we release, Lord, this is your money, your resources that you've trusted us, God, with. And Lord, we don't take that lightly, but I pray that it wouldn't be a crushing weight for us. But right now, release your Holy Spirit into the minds of every man and woman, Lord, under the sound of my voice, God, and let the world see the kingdom of God through the generosity of our Savior Jesus lived out through us. It's in his name we pray. All God's people said together, amen. Amen. Awesome to be with you guys. I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.